Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, especially today, folks, because we're paying tribute to one of the greatest film composers of all time, James Horner, who died recently in a plane crash at the age of 61. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family, friends, and fans. And speaking of fans, Mr. Horner has millions of them all over the world because of his memorable movie scores for such films as Titanic, A Beautiful Mind, Avatar, Braveheart, Field of Dreams, The Legend of Zorro, and many, many more. Fortunately, with us today are two of our favorite film critics, Richard Jack Smith and A.J. Hawkery, who have agreed to join in this celebration of Mr. Horner's impressive contributions to the cinema. Richard is the soundtrack reviewer for Real Talk Movie Reviews, and A.J. contributes film reviews also to Real Talk Movie Reviews, as well as various sites, including his own popular blog, CineSlice. And I always want to spell that because when I first started telling listeners about it, I, I pronounced it wrong. So that's capital C, I N E, capital S L I C E. And before bringing our guests on, I want to remind people who are listening to the live show that the chat is open. So if you would like to participate, please do. We really appreciate our chatters as well as all our other listeners. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome Richard and AJ back to Movie Addict Headquarters. Richard is calling in all the way from Wales, so I know AJ won't mind if we bring him on first. Richard, I want to thank you for those wonderful film soundtrack reviews that you've been submitting to Real Talk Movie Reviews. And um, as I mentioned to you before the show started, my first question is going to be, why is background music so important to a movie? Can you fill us in on that? Yes, it can reinforce action, character, and our emotional involvement. Uh, Beyond that, it can reveal subtext or hidden meaning of a sequence. I mean, the number of times we've watched a scene and the music has commented on stuff that we're not seeing. Um, could be a character who's, who's no longer part of the story, but again, like with Braveheart, uh, the number of times that William Wallace will be walking through scenes and the music will be revealing his, his motions to do with Muran, who's, who was the woman he loved, who was you know, killed early in the story. Um, that that kind of thing is is something that I think film music is is perfect for. And James Horner just exemplified that perfectly. 
I think you're right about that. And um, uh, AJ's been patient here, so let's bring him on now. AJ, do you agree with uh, Richard uh, as to why background music is so important to a film? Absolutely. He made some very good points. Although there are some who would say that, you know, the best uh, background music uh, is or is the music that you don't really notice because you know otherwise uh-huh. you think oh this like this particular theme is standing out like this uh, piece of music is like totally overwhelming the scene this has my attention and not the story that's unfolding or the uh, actors playing their characters and on the other end of the spectrum you know the lack of music can be just as distinct and have just as big of an impact on a scene like just uh, this past weekend. I had seen uh, the 60s version of Far From the Matting Crowd for the first time, and you think, oh, it's like a big epic romance, lots of costumes and everything. It's going to have, like, the suitably big score, and it did have music in there, but there really wasn't as much of it as you thought. A lot of moments played, you know, just in dead silence and quiet, which kind of gave this, you know, romantic story kind of an unsettling edge. So uh, background music, when there is, uh, when there is background music, as opposed to, you know, when there isn't, can definitely bring out the emotion, the, the intended emotion in a scene, you know, just kind of hit it at home and hammer it home for you. Or it can, uh, like uh, like uh, Richard said, uh, put a different spin on a scene that, you know, all the characters and the performances are giving us all these specific cues, but the music is telling us different. So it's telling us, okay, something else is happening in the scene or this uh, particular story through is going to go in a dark direction. So... Uh, definitely background music is very important in terms of storytelling because it can tell you a whole lot that the uh, that dialogue and uh, stuff like that cannot. That's Oh, those are such good points. I, I agree. I, I just feel that uh, the music heightens the emotional tone and uh, it, it helps you get into this story or whatever is happening on screen. But, you, uh, but Edgy, you're right. I mean, sometimes if it's just overwhelming... It doesn't help. It doesn't help things. And if you have the wrong music, it can it can really ruin the whole the whole movie. And I I was trying to check um, through uh, some research on this movie um, where there's a good story about it. It's The Lost Weekend. That was an Oscar-winning movie back in the '40s, starring Ray Milland as a uh, alcoholic who was trying to stay on the wagon and then went went on a binge or a weekend binge it's it's very very dramatic and the first preview they had put in a temporary uh background uh, score and the mm. audience was laughing through it it was kind of a Gershwin type jazz uh soundtrack <laughs> and and it just, I mean, people just thought it, they thought it was a, a comedy. So after that, yeah. they didn't know what to do with the movie. And, and I think it was Miklos, I don't think I'm pronouncing his name right, Miklos Rosas, who did the uh, the final score for uh, The Lost Weekend. And, you know, it, it was then dramatic, and it just changed everything. And the, it, the movie just became such a hit and a won the Oscar, probably more than won one Oscar. So I think that shows how important the uh, the, the music is to, uh, to movies. And uh, you two have both been interested in not just the stories. When, you, when I read your reviews, 
you don't just tell a lot of uh, details about the plot, but you go into explaining what uh, some of the other aspects of the film, the the music and the cinematography, and um, I really appreciate that. And so I was wondering when you guys first became interested in uh, movie scores uh, and why, Richard. When did you? Uh, uh, eight, were you what? Two years old? <laughs> uh, around age six, actually. I mean, uh, I've always six, been kind okay. of aware <laughs> of um, aware of music in, in films, um, especially when it's when it's good and it stands out. Um, in terms of James Horner's work, some of the scores of his that I was that I noticed in the, in the films that he made back then would have been some like The Rocketeer, um, very heroic music, uh, apparently. Bear McCreary, who's a film composer who's done most recent Battlestar Galactica, wrote a paper back in 2001, I believe, which was all about how Horner uh, composed the music for The Rocketeer. It was very, made for very interesting reading. It's it's well worth uh, well worth a look at that. And, and also around that time, there was a film he made called uh, Sneakers. I think that was 1992. And there was a very poignant scene in that between Robert Redford and Ben Kingsley and the way Horner creates melancholy and underscores this lost friendship, I've always found to be very uh, resonant. And that, that, so that, those were the scores which, at an early age, had made quite an impression on me that I was that I was very conscious of. Yes, and I, I'm amazed that uh, to. I, I didn't think about music or even even uh, feel like I was hearing music at six years old when I was going to the movies. It was just, you know, the visuals that I was seeing. So um, I think that's why probably I'm not into the scores as much as, as you are and A.J. is. A.J., when did you become interested in movie scores? Oh, like Richard said, it was when I was a kid. And, you know, some of the first movies that... Uh, young people ever see are Disney movies. And so, you know, I, I grew up with watching like all the old classics, you know, like Robin Hood and Fox and the Hound and stuff, which had these uh, like very lush scores, like very deep and, you know, very entertaining and memorable. And I remember, would remember, you know, catching myself uh, remembering and kind of humming melodies to myself as, as to like kind of just uh, occupy my time or calm me down or something. <laughs> and then, of course, you would have like a very like bold, memorable theme like Star Wars. And like every time you would pop in a Star Wars movie, whether you were seeing it for like the first time or for like the 500th time, like as soon as that John Williams score just hits you at the beginning of the like it just primes you. It just gets you in the mood. It's like, all right, here we go. It's going to be a good show. And and so I just really love looking forward to that. Uh, in terms of James Horner, I think the first time I actually remember, uh, or the first time that I would have probably heard his music would be for An American Tale, which is one of the few like big or one of the few uh, non-Disney animated movies when I was a kid to just really hit big, because if it was a cartoon, it was Disney. But here, it kind of came from a left field, and I remember that uh, the scene where, like, Fievel and his sister are singing Somewhere Out There, which, in addition to uh, doing the score, James Horner also wrote that song, and it's, like, this really heartfelt song about them, you know, like, yearning to see each other again, which kind of got turned into, like, an easy listening, like, love song, 
like later on, I think it was Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram ended up singing that one. But it works on, you know, two levels because it's about two mice siblings, you know, wanting to see each other again, but then they kind of turn into a love song. But yeah, that's the first time I remember that I would have probably heard uh, a James Harmon music. Although, like, you know, looking back in the 80s, like, he did so much and he had, like, this incredibly varied career. But I think we're going to get into that very shortly. Yes, I, we definitely will. And I, um, I, I think that the first time I became aware of a film score was uh, watching The Wizard of Oz. And, uh, of course, it had musical numbers along with it. When I, I saw it when it was first released. So, I mean, it made a big impression on me. And uh, then I did start paying a little more attention to, you know, what was happening uh, with, the, with the music. And um, I think, uh, Richard, you've already talked a little bit about um, what has impressed you about James Horner's film music. Was there anything else you'd, you'd like to add about that, uh, uh, why it's so impressive to you? One of the uh, running jokes between my father and I is we'd be watching a film and uh, choirs would come in because Horner is, is definitely known for his choirs. And, and whether the film was scored by Horner or not, my, my dad would turn to me and say, where's James Horner? <laughs> <laughs> Because it became yeah. this this element that he, he he applied very well and and differently in a lot of cases, uh, especially in, in films like uh, Titanic and well or all across the board going away all the way back to the early eighties when he did Star Trek two, Rafa Khan, all the way up to Avatar and beyond. Yes, well, just definitely. I I feel the same way you do about uh, about Horner's music, and, and even more so since I, I've been doing some research for the the show. I yeah. I always feel the heart. That's why I titled our episode today "Film Music from the Heart." And I, as I was doing my research, I found these two quotes from James Horner, and I. Um, I want to share them with you now. The first one is, he said, My job is to make sure that at every turn of the film, it's something the audience can feel with their heart. So there's the heart in that quote. And the second quote is, In all the films that I work on, there's always this question, What is the heart of the film? And I try to nail that. And I thought, my gosh, he nailed it in so many ways, didn't he? I mean, that yeah. it really, it really does, it really does uh, get get to you. How would you rank Horner as a film composer, AJ? Well, having uh, you know, sadly, you know, a person whenever like a celebrity or someone in the movie business dies, it kind of makes you realize, oh, I didn't really appreciate him. When he was, when he or she was alive, and so you kind of go back and go, oh yeah, this score was great, and this score was great, and this score was great. Um, as a, in terms of you know putting him amongst like the best uh, movie uh, or the best composers in movies of all time, I'm I'm not sure that I I, I would have to kind of like reevaluate a lot of his music and uh, listen to it all over again, and uh, I would want to. You know, listen to the less or to the more obscure scores he did because he did stuff for just movies. You know, like he did music for Crawl and he did Commando and like these 80s movies where you're like, oh, this 
like a high this high end composer did like a Schwarzenegger action movie too. So you kind of want to go back and reevaluate. But I don't. I'm I'm unsure as to where to put him in the pantheon of like the great movie composers like Bernard Herrmann or. Uh, uh, John Williams and everything, but at the same time, I don't want to devalue his contribution since he since he did put out just a great volume of work, many of which were just these fantastic scores, and a lot of which, you know, kind of weren't all that great. But I don't want to. I'm I'm nervous as to where to put him on the list of the all time greatest, but he was just a fantastic composer. Period. So maybe after I've uh, re- gone back and revisited a lot of his music, then I can say like, okay, he's one of the greats. But he, in any case, he was definitely a hard-working guy who turned out a lot of, and a lot of great music. Yes, uh, he certainly did. Uh, uh, I am the Internet Movie Database lists 125 composing credits, and um, of course, he does have the the Oscar for the. Uh, Best original score for Titanic, plus My Heart Will Go On, so there's that heart again, which won best uh, original song that same year. And he's had so many Oscar nominations. Uh, I think he was nominated for Avatar, House of Sand and Fog, A Beautiful Mind, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Field of Dreams, An American Tale, and Aliens. And he won two Golden Globe Awards three Satellite Awards, three Saturn Awards, and uh, has been nominated for three British Academy Film Awards, and I'm sure there are a number of, of recognitions that he received that I, I didn't really come across, but very, very impressive. And um, I, I just still like the, the idea of the heart that comes through in, in, his, um, in his music. Where would you rank? James Horner as a film composer, Richard? I would put him right up with Eric Wolfgang Korngold, uh, Alfred Newman, Max Steiner, and Franz Waxman. Uh, He was such a pure-hearted, brilliant composer. And and you can even add contemporary people like John Williams, uh, to a certain extent, Hans Zimmer, although I I think he's... Again, not to get sidetracked here, but Hans Zimmer has, has done much that's good over the last ten years, I don't think. But uh, but definitely, the Horner deserves to be up there with the great film composers, and that can include Prokofiev as well. The guy who did uh, Alexander Nevsky. Yes, yes. I, it, the, <laughs> it seems to me that the the music that he uses is classical. I think he he uh, mentioned that he was influenced by Dmitry Shostakovich, the Russian great Russian composer, and it, his music is you know so sweeping and rich and and classical. And my favorite film composer is Maurice Jarre. I just think the Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, that you know Mom, that was just so so great. Uh, Doctor Zhivago. And and I think that's kind of the type of music that uh, that James Horner was uh, was doing yeah. for us. Well, that uh, that takes us to our top ten, and this is the most fun I think. We we all were to m- uh, make our list <laughs> of top ten, and I've got to get my pen and paper out here because I'm going to write them down and see if we have any any agreement on this. 
So, Richard, why don't you give us your your top ten James Horner film scores? If I start in descending order, so from ten back to one. So at number ten, 48 Hours contains one of Horner's best main titles, always remembered as one of his signature do-do-do-do-do-do, you know, one of those, it's, it's synthesizers, mm-hmm. but it, it is very, very good. It's not well regarded in all uh, film music critic circles, but uh, I, I really like that one. Uh, number nine would be Glory. Um, this was so good, the closing credits theme was used in the trailer for Ron Howard's firefighting drama Backdraft, and I watched that earlier again, and uh, always remembered how evocative uh, that was, and that was for the Civil War drama Glory. Uh, mm. Number eight, um, although it, it, it is a little problematic outside of the picture, in other words, on CD, uh, the music was transcendent in the picture, and it did add to James Cameron's beautiful images of Pandora. Uh, number seven, Clear and Present Danger. By itself, the track entitled Ambush represents nine minutes of, I think, Horner's finest action scoring. Uh, number six, Sneakers. Again, this lost friendship, which he underscores during it. The track is called Cosmo, Old Friend, and that continues to impress me as a sad, lonely gesture. Uh, now, excuse me, five. I didn't. Uh, excuse me, uh, Richard. I didn't get the name <laughs> of the movie for number six. Could you repeat that? Uh, sneakers. Okay. And number five. Uh, aliens. It's some of the most uh, exciting music I've, I've come across has been uh, for, for the alien pictures, and it's quite funny because this uh, little. I won't call it the danger note motif because he uses the four note danger motif for, for other films, but there's a little da, 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 da. And that is actually the only music I, I it was in Aliens, but it's the only music I remember from Alien 3, and I saw the film twice. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that was, um, there are just, just moments in, in, in that which, which give me goosebumps in Aliens. For instance, when Ripley just puts the the pedal to the metal and or however the expression goes and and she goes in to, to rescue the marines and it's very militaristic you know theme going behind that that i've always loved um so moving on then to number four the mask of zorro uh took a little while for this one to to work its charms on me i'll, I'll be honest but the first two tracks on the cd entitled the plaza of execution and the other one is Elena and Esperanza, they're terrific, about eight minutes long each, and a nice overview of of the type of music that one can expect, very romantic, very sweeping, and quite dramatic and adventurous as well. So that's at number four, Mask of Zorro. Number three, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, again, the same year as 48 Hours, which was 1982, definitely elevates the emotional language, because music is so much about emotion, uh, for that particular franchise, next to Star Trek The Motion Picture and also Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Wonderful themes and tremendous emotion-driven action. Uh, number two, Iris. Beautiful love score. Mm. Again, long extended um, arrangements, which very, very consistent. The violin solos of Joshua Bell, I think, surpass um, the work that 
James Newton Howard did on The Village, quite similar again, violin being the instrument of choice there. Also, that was a personal favourite of German composer Frederick Wiedemann, who's, again, one of the people who gets inspired a lot by James Horner and, and um, did, a, did a Civil War score called Field Lost Shoes, which was very much in the style of, uh, of James Horner's glory. And then at number one, this, I would deem Horner's masterpiece, Braveheart. He could score tragedy, tragedy and triumph in the same breath with probably far greater success than a lot of the composers out there. Uh, just breathtaking, total classic. Love that score. Well, wow, that's a that's a great list, and I'm I'm noticing that that um, I'm agreeing you with with some of these, which I'll share after we hear AJ's uh, list of top ten. You're on AJ. All right, just uh, just to give you a heads up. Uh, none of these, uh, none of the movies on my list are scores for movies that are uh, come from after uh, 2000. Just a lot of, and a lot of them are childhood favorites. So you may disagree with the placement of some of these, and uh, or the inclusion of some of these. Uh, I haven't ranked them in any like specific order of like my favorites or anything like that, because or like like one through ten, just because. It's it's really hard to do. So kind of what I'm doing is starting from like the beginning of his career, uh, mm-hmm. then going on from there. So uh, in uh, the, the, this number one spot, not necessarily in my number one pick, uh, but just kind of like the first in his career is uh, would be Star Trek too. You know, a lot of people consider this the best Star Trek movie, just in terms of the writing and the acting and the effects that, that, that they're thrown by that. And the music is definitely in there. It definitely uh, keys into the Star Trek spirit. And it was uh, James Horner's uh, first really, really big score. He had had a couple jobs before this, like on The Hand and Wolf and these terrible 80s horror movies. But Star Trek too, like for a fairly inexperienced guy, like he definitely hammered it right out of the park and established himself as a big name. Uh-huh. Uh, number two, number two would be for uh, something wicked. This way comes uh, one of the mm. darkest movies that the Disney corporation ever did. And it had that, you know, had the horror elements mixed in with the carnival atmosphere, which uh, his, his music definitely tapped into. It was very wistful. It was very, somber and creepy and unsettling but at the same time kind of sentimental in a very weird way and uh, it suited the mood of the movie perfectly the movie itself kind of doesn't hold up as well over time but his music is one part of it that definitely did so it's very creepy and unnerving and at times the number three pick would just be one of the classic like all time like guy movie scores and that is Commando where it's just like, just from the very first scene of like Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger like carrying a giant tree tree trunk just on his <laughs> shoulder and just his pecs just rippling out there and the score's like, duh, 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 duh. like, like it's just like it's it's absolutely cheesy but it just suits the movie perfectly and it it gets you pumped like the adrenaline just going through the entire time like it's just. They're a very kind of like militaristic score, but it just it fits everything just so perfectly and gets you like, yeah, go get your daughter, yeah, get the bad guys, yeah. It just gets you in that <laughs> sphere and just maintains it the entire time. It is so much fun. 
And speaking of militaristic, number four would be his first collaboration with James Cameron, and that is Aliens, where, you know, he had this first movie which was uh, kind of on the quiet side as much as, you know, a movie where an alien monster jumped out and did unspeakable things to you. could be quiet, but it definitely had the more kind of insidious style of uh, score. And here it was full of, you know, bombast and like, like get the aliens. Like this was a different uh, spirit than the first movie. And if the presence of all the Marines and the guns and Michael Bean and all that stuff didn't tell you if the music definitely did. Uh, My fifth pick would be, as I mentioned before, an American tale, which was very emotional and very sentimental, and this includes the song, you know, Somewhere Out There, which, right mm-hmm. alongside, like, The Land Before Time, cause he did a couple movies, uh, a couple of Don Bluth productions, uh, were definitely some of the moments in my childhood where it's like I can just hear a couple, a couple notes and I'm like instantly brought back, and you know the tears start going. But of course, you know the the, man, the manly good tears. You know I'm allowed to cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, an American Tale was definitely an impressionable score for uh, when I was growing up. Okay, my number six pick would be Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And, uh, oh no. <laughs> I Shrunk the Kids is the first movie that I remember seeing in the theater, you know, the visuals alone and the situations uh, just kind of fired my imagination, captured my interest. But over the years when I kept revisiting it, I know it's like the music is just really fun, just really peppy. And, you know, it takes you, and when you're a kid like that, because I was four years old when I saw that movie for the first time, and it can be a scary, uh, it has a lot of, like, very uh, unsettling situations, like Rick Moranis is about to eat his son in a bowl of cereal, but uh, his music kept... <laughs> His music kind of had that funhouse ride going through. It reassured you, like, okay, it's all fine, it's all peppy, and it, it, everything's going to turn out okay, but it's going to take you on, like, a little bit of a dangerous ride. So I definitely liked that back then, and I still really like it now. On my uh, next pick, my number two, my number seven pick would be uh, Glory, as uh, Richard uh, mentioned. Uh, there's not much that can be said that hasn't already been said. It's just a phenomenal uh, score that backs up a really, really great, uh, powerful war film. And uh, James Horner's contributions definitely helped it uh, help it stick out. Uh, my number eight pick would be uh, The Rocketeer. Again, another childhood movie. I always loved, you know, retro action movies growing up. Kind of like, you know, Dick Tracy is a big favorite of mine. And uh, The Shadow and The Phantom, as cheesy as they are, still like revisiting them. And The Rocketeer is one that has kind of held up the best, and its reputation has kind of improved. And uh, James Horner's music, in addition to the like great production design and just the look of the movie, the sound of it was really good. It was very triumphant and heroic, and then kind of like signaled the arrival of this uh, new new a new hero who felt like an old hero. And so I thought that was a really, really terrific score that he contributed. My ninth pick would be, as uh, Richard mentioned, Braveheart. You know, right right there, like, the music is just such an integral and important part of that movie. It's an old-fashioned style epic, and he provided some music that sounded just, uh, just in tune to what the movie spirit was. And then my number ten pick would, you know, Titanic. You just can't uh, have a James Horner list without... Titanic, you know, say what you will about the movie, but again, 
the movie was uh it was a like a big romantic movie it was it was definitely more even more old fashioned than uh braveheart was and it uh and they found the score that would uh complement the movie very well and as kind of emotionally forced as some of the moments are uh in terms of the dialogue and cheesy and everything like uh, Benny Cho said, it all comes back to the heart, where the music always felt genuine, always felt it was complimenting the movie, not instructing you how to feel, but just reflecting what was going on on screen, which is a very important part of music that a lot of people don't uh, pull off very well, but James Horner, he, he just handled it like a pro. I agree, and I that's a, that's really a great list too. And I think that uh, it shows the, the diversity of what uh, James Horner could do. And my my list uh, number one, and this surprised me completely because I didn't care for this movie at all. But when I went back and looked at the, the uh, some of the tributes to James Horner and listened to some of the soundtracks, I find that my favorite is. Legends of the Fall, and it was just so uh, uh, sweeping and romantic and nostalgic, and I just thought, I'm going to go back and watch that movie again (laughs) just to see how it fits in with the the music, (laughs) since the music was so great. Number two, Apollo 13. I thought it was very, very inspirational. Number three, Glory, so dramatic. I agree with what you guys say about that. Beyond Borders, I noticed, isn't on anyone's list except mine, but I thought that the music was so tender in the romantic scenes, and I'm one of the few critics who just loved, loved, loved that movie with uh, Angelina Jolie and uh, Clive Owen. And I think AJ and I have argued about that before, so I won't go into that anymore. And (laughs) my next one is (laughs) number five. This one is on all our lists, and um, it is uh, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, my gosh, what an exciting what an exciting score. That's <laughs> just perfect, perfect for the film. And then number six is um, The Mask of Zorro. I agree with Richard. Adventure is coming, <laughs> and it's so adventurous. And I loved, loved, loved the movie, too. Aliens, I see that. Uh, I think that's on all three of our lists. It was uh, Some of that just was so scary. Uh, I, I just uh, was on the edge of my seat. A Beautiful Mind would be my uh, number eight. Um, I, th- I think this uh, there's a part in it uh, saying goodbye to those you love. I, I mean, it was so sad and, and soulful. It really, really got to me. Number nine, The Land Before Time. I thought that it was just sort of spiritual with a touch of danger, and that uh, fit uh, some of the scenes in The Land Before Time. And then... This rousing uh, score from Avatar makes it to uh, number uh, 10 on, on my list. So let me look here and see if, what our agreements are. Every, each one of us has glory. Each one of us has the wrath of Khan. Now, AJ, did you have Zorro? You didn't, did you? I didn't have Zorro. Okay. But each one of us has aliens. And yeah. did each one of us have Avatar? Yeah, I had Avatar. I, I, I did not have Avatar. You didn't have oh. Avatar. So we've got uh, Glory, The Wrath of Khan, Aliens, and Avatar. 
And isn't that interesting that Titanic didn't make our, <laughs> our top three as far as the – and only uh, – that, that's really strange. That's the, that's the best-selling uh, soundtrack, isn't it, Richard, of all time? Yeah, I think after that, it's something like uh, John De- John Debney's Passion of the Christ and then Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it's, it's the highest uh, grossing uh, film soundtrack of all time. I think they, they've just recently brought out a special uh, two-disc special edition of uh, James Horne's Titanic. Right, right. Well, this I, I just think this uh, listeners who haven't uh, seen some of these movies that we've mentioned uh, shame on them, you know, especially those that all three of us liked. So be sure, dear listeners, to uh, to check uh, check out these wonderful films with the beautiful music uh, by James Horner. And um, I, since we're you know we're talking about music, we need to hear uh, <laughs> some music. So we do. We have had um, Richard B. Smart, who's in Australia. Uh, located some outro music for us that we're going to play, but it's a little longer than than usual. So I think we're we're going to um, uh, to end our part of the show a little bit early. And uh, but I wanted to um, mention some other radio shows for our listeners to check out. I like to do this before closing the show. Um, I hope that everyone will go over and check the Wacko Network because we have Pat Vecchiono from World Talk Radio, which is on the Wacko Network. And uh, it, there are so many shows there, I can't remember the times. Just look for Wacko Network and World Talk Radio with Pat Vecchioni and Chuck Skull. And um, that one, I believe, is on Saturday night, uh, about uh, six o'clock in the evening, and it's a it's a wonderful show. In fact, there are so many shows on the Wacko Network that uh, you there's something for everybody. Also, check out Nancy Lombardo's Comedy Concepts show. It's so entertaining, and uh, that's right here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday and Friday morning at 10:30 Eastern Time. And go over to. Here, the Mom and Pop Shop Show, hosted by Mr. Showbiz himself, George Bettinger, on Dreamstream Radio, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. George Bettinger is Mr. Showbiz, for sure, and you'll get some laughs, you'll get some great music, and you'll, you'll have a lot of fun. Now, I hope that everybody will come back for another spirited discussion next time about movies. We've certainly learned a lot today, and um, we appreciate... Uh, everyone who has signed in and the people that have have uh, been in the chat today, Kat's been there uh, during practically the whole show, and other people have been uh, coming in and going out, but not uh, identifying themselves, but we really appreciate them. I also want to give a big shout-out to Richard Jack Smith and A.J. Hawkery for being such terrific guests today. And special thanks to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support and to Nikki Starr, our producer, for everything she does for our show, as well as to Danny Dyer and Richard B. Smart for their technical assistance uh, in locating this um, outro music that we're just about to play. I hope everyone enjoyed the show, and I'm sorry to say that our time is almost up, but don't forget to check out the film reviews of Richard Jack Smith and A.J. Hawkery and Betty Jo Tucker over at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. 
That's all for now, folks. To close the show, here's the great Celine Dion with James Horner's haunting Oscar-winning song from Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. Thank you, James Horner, for your remarkable contributions to music and film.